Hello and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. I am your host, Doug. Uh, with me in our virtual studio from all around the planet, we have Elliot, Tiffany, and Erica. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. So today we are going to be talking about where is your awareness? Awareness mm-hmm. is defined as the ability to directly know and perceive, to feel, or to be cognizant of events. More broadly, it is the state of being conscious of something. It's ephemeral, however, something that we seem to take for granted. Only rarely are we actually aware of our awareness. So today we're going to be looking at a lot of different kind of aspects of awareness. Um, It seems to be, it's kind of on a spectrum, like there's different levels of awareness. Um, Maybe we could just start off by talking about some of that. Like it seems like awareness, like the day-to-day level of awareness is just kind of like you're aware of kind of what's in front of you at the moment Mm -hmm. Um, to differing levels because it seems also that there's a lot that interferes with awareness. Like uh, any kind of thought loops in your head, if you're obsessing over something, if you're distracted by something, it seems like even when you're kind of performing a task, a lot of the times your mind isn't actually on the task at hand, especially if it's something relatively automatic or something you've done a lot before. Um, And you're actually more in your head and more aware of whatever thoughts happen to be passing by than what's actually right in front of you at any given moment. But actually being aware of your thoughts and not letting them slip by unnoticed is a specific type of awareness all in itself. Because yeah. some people have no idea what they're thinking. I know, and that's the kind of the weird thing about it is that these thoughts seem to run along and we aren't actually aware. It's like being so absorbed in the thought loops that mm-hmm. the actual awareness of those thought loops isn't there. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, when you talk about your eye, you can't see your own eye. You see out of your eye. So it's like you can't actually, the eye can't turn itself back around and look at itself. And it seems like it's a real effort to, when you're stuck in these thought loops or you kind of are them or you're identified with them, mm-hmm. you can't actually, well, I shouldn't say you can't, but it's, it, it requires effort to kind of be aware that you're having these thought loops. Mm-hmm. And that's our it's show. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining us. You'll yeah. be aware. <laughs> the one thing that I notice with myself is if I don't get proper sleep, I wake up in the morning and try and go about my day. I'm just completely out of it. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. I get to work. I have no idea how I got there. I mm. can't account for time passing. I forget stuff. I drop stuff. This yeah. is bizarre. Well, I guess, I mean, sleep is very important, but it's strange how just missing out on a couple hours of sleep and your entire thinking process gets altered. Yeah. It's almost like awareness kind of requires a level of energy. Mm-hmm. But it's actually kind of amazing that we can just function even if we aren't aware that mm-hmm. our bodies are kind of capable of going through motions that they're used to. I'll give an example, actually. Uh, I've found a couple of times, like, if I'm kind of just off in la-la land and, like, spaced out or thinking about something else and I'm driving or I'm walking and I'll suddenly realize that I'm going in a very specific route that I'm used to going. Mm-hmm. And even if that's not like, for example, like if, if I was going um, to the store or something like that, and I kind of come to all of a sudden and realize I'm on my way to work, even though I'm not <laughs> working and I was actually trying to go to the store because maybe it's a similar kind of thing or sitting on the subway and, and going past the stop I needed to go to because that's not the one that I'm used to going to. So it's kind of like your body kind of has this automatic, um, you know, set pattern, and if you're not paying attention, then you'll just stick to that pattern. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's muscle memory, a lot of it. It's almost like mm. survival. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like Tiffany sharing about not getting enough sleep, but somehow you still manage to get up and get in your car and drive to work and function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of just like on autopilot. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's not being aware, but somehow your body seems to keep doing the movements. Mm-hmm. It's like robotic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really useful, certainly. Um, you know, if, if I guess no one really um, takes the time, I, I would imagine it's probably impossible to take the time to actually um, process all of the information uh, consciously. You know, there, are, there is so much information that we come across um, every single second of every single day um, that if we were acutely aware of that, if we were acutely conscious of everything that was going on at all, all times, um, it would be a bit of a, um, it would be a bit overwhelming, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'd be able to get much done. Um, yeah. And so from, from what I understand, reading people's experiences with taking certain hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic drugs and, and other sort of psychoactive substances, um, it brings to mind various accounts of people saying that nothing, uh, or in some instances, nothing necessarily changed, but that they were just more aware of it. Um, and that it, it, it's a useful thing that human beings have evolved to do, is to sift through all of the, um, let's say, the non-essential information how it sort of bypasses conscious aware and awareness and it allows us to to basically hold hold an aim uh, you know set our um intentions and our energy and our focus into one thing um so it's useful but that's when we're talking about building our awareness i think the problem is is that we get into habits um, and generally, it seems to just be the human condition where it's all too easy to fall into that automated mode, that very automatic mode where we almost lose all all awareness of what's going on and be- become completely um, identified with or absorbed in, in, in the small things, the things that we're thinking about or the things that we're feeling or the tasks that we need to accomplish throughout the day. And I think that it, um, it's very easy to lose sight of everything else that's going on around you. And so whilst it's useful and, and, and it's, it's a very beneficial thing to sift through the, the information and, and sort of categorize what is important and what is not important, I think it's also, well... It's not that I think it's been shown that it's very beneficial to actually take the time um, to 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 observe the the rest of the stuff going on. Mm. I mean, that kind of comes into like situational awareness, which is one thing that's talked about quite a bit um, in well, in various uh, various kind of uh, disciplines and stuff. They'll talk about the military, the military, really but also that. like self-defense as well. Um, you know, just training people to be more aware of their environment, um, because I think it, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, I, I guess the whole point is that it's not an automatic thing. Right. Mm. It's like our awareness is like Elliot was saying, we're only aware of a very kind of narrow band of what we're being exposed to at any any given moment. And, you know, the brain is designed to process kind of like um, decide what's important that needs to be paid attention to. And the other stuff that seems unimportant is kind of like pushed aside or at least not dealt with consciously. So situational awareness kind of comes in where you kind of are being more conscious of what it is you're paying attention to. And, you know, they give uh, examples of things like when you go into like a restaurant or something, you know, mm-hmm. look around and kind of see, like, you know, take note of the exits. Or, I mean, this is in the, in the um, kind of the context of safety, right? Of, of kind of, uh, you know, if uh, the S hits the fan, then, you know, what, what are your options? What's available? What's around? Where are the exits? Um, who looks kind of dodgy? You know, they talk about um, looking around and, and kind of having a baseline of normalcy. 
So when you walk into, say, a restaurant or something like that, it would be natural to have, you know, people eating food, obviously, and waiters and waitresses and uh, the cooks in the back and um, the customers, you know, having a you know, joyous time having their meal and everything like that. So that's kind of the baseline. That's normal behavior. And if you see somebody, though, who's acting quite agitated, who is, um, I don't know, maybe acting dodgy or twitchy, mm -hmm. that's kind of like something that's above baseline. It's kind of like that's not normal in that situation. Or somebody so sitting like, in a restaurant not eating, just staring yeah. at everybody. Well, if they're staring, yeah. I mean, they might just be waiting for their food, but yeah, just... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, acting weird, you know, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. or not even necessarily weird, but acting in a way that isn't normal. It's kind of like that, that can become something that you um, should maybe pay attention to, or at least keep it in, uh, in your conscious mind. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of different examples, but I think you can yeah. practice that too. Like mm -hmm. it can be something as a, as a practice, like for me, whenever I go out to somewhere that I've never been before. I kind of scan the environment, you know, more, I guess you'd say it's safety issues, but you know, if you're getting gas and you, you just notice the other people at the gas pump and things like that. And I think you can kind of build on that where, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a, a green beret or special op military, but you know, it, it could help in a situation, say if there was some random, whatever shooting or something that you're not getting caught up in the chaos of it all but just sitting back and observing how to stay calm mm -hmm. and get out of there in a safe way if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah so it's something that we don't usually do i think the majority of us don't and that um many of the special ops or sort of intelligence um professions they are they are taught how to do it and they're specifically trained on ways to do it um, and, you know, one of the articles, it had a, a video, a video clip of um, Jason Bourne from the Bourne Identity films. Mm -hmm. And he is basically explaining how he's picking up on all of this information. Like, you know, he was sat in this cafe and he was talking about how he could name off uh, all of the license plates in <laughs> all, of all of the cars that are parked on the car park and they could tell you all of these different things that the ordinary person would not typically pick up on and I think a lot of the time when we go about our daily lives a lot of the things that we're processing it's doing it based on pattern recognition and so you know we see someone sat down at the cafe and we auto automatically assume ah they're waiting for their food or you know like a, a lot of this a lot of the things that we see fit into um you know how we understand them into these small boxes of sort of this is how this works and this is how this works and so on but um what's interesting is that i think that when when you you practice this you change that that pattern recognition system so it's almost like it, it appears so and i can't say that i do it myself but it appears that the fact that people can train themselves to do this it's almost like they're injecting um new information into that um that 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 response that uh, what am I trying to? Like the automatic. Can't think process. of the word. Yeah, the automatic process. They're injecting new information into that, mm -hmm. and 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 as as that's practiced over and over again, uh, that becomes the automatic thing. You know, mm -hmm. so it seems that that is possible rather than, you know, I, I'd imagine it would take a very long time to develop that skill, but then it gets to a point where I mean, uh, one of the authors of one of the other articles is talking about training his children to do that. And so they use specific games like they would go into say a fast food restaurant and pick up some food. And when they got back into the car 10 minutes later, the father would ask his children basic questions like what was the color of the shirt of the person sat next to us? How many people were working behind the counter? Um, you know, where was the nearest exit and all of these things. And so, um, unfortunately, many of us as children, we were never taught to think like that. <laughs> but I think that it would be very beneficial and you probably could do it as an adult as well. And it's picking up on very basic things. But it's things that we generally take for granted. And oftentimes, especially in our society, we're glued to our mobile devices and things. Um, I dread to think how little awareness most people actually have of their surroundings 
simply due to the fact that all they're looking at they're looking down on a screen i mean there's yeah. there's the cases of the jaywalking like <laughs> where people are actually being prosecuted i mean some people have died simply because they're crossing the road but they're looking at their phone and they can't <laughs> see cars coming either way and you think that this is just very basic situa situational awareness which everyone should ideally have but it seems like we're getting to a point now uh, where it's actually going downhill and we're losing situational awareness that we previously would have had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably gotten so bad at this point because it's not that necessary for survival. I mean, you can be a phone zombie and still be able to carry out all of your functions needed for that day. You, It's not like you live in the woods and you have to protect yourself from wild animals or anything. I mean, there are wild people on the streets, but I mean, you just people get don't even care about away. their own safety anymore. They won't be able to give an accurate eyewitness account, whether it's something that happened to them or something that happened to a person across the street. Like if the police came by, no one could say what happened because they're all yeah. off in la-la land. Yeah, it's true. Not that I'm not guilty. I mean, I don't walk down the street looking at my phone, but I'm not always uh, checking my sixes or whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting that it's kind of like, uh, like you were saying, Elliot, it's kind of like a retraining of that automatic process. It's kind of like, um, you know, just instead of just being kind of caught up in, in whatever you happen to be thinking about at the time or your phone or whatever else could be serving as a, as a distraction, uh, it's kind of like retraining. And I think it's helpful in other ways too. There's this, this phenomenon called target fixation, which apparently is used by motorcycle drivers a lot because there's this phenomenon where a motorcycle driver will be going along and they'll fixate on one particular thing. So it might be somebody, like, so let's say it's like an object on the side of the road or something like that. And instead of kind of being aware of the, what's around them and driving, they'll kind of fixate on that thing. And then they have a tendency to actually start driving towards that thing. So apparently, not in a car. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I mean, people, people do that kind of thing. And I mean, I think target fixation is just kind of the idea of being fixated on this particular thing. And I think that, that um, this crashing of motorcycles or cars or whatever is um a consequence of target fixation and i know there's like apparently cops who pull people over on the side of the road this is a problem because you know other cars will fixate on the fact that there's something on the side of the road which might have flashing lights and stuff like that and they'll not even realize that they're kind of unconsciously just drifting towards that thing Mm -hmm. But I think it comes into other things, too, in situational awareness where you kind of end up fixated on one thing in the room. So, you know, something, what's an example? Okay, well, here's an example. The, the, in the Matrix, the woman in the red dress, right? It's kind of like Neo, if everybody remembers that movie, Neo is kind of in the Matrix and being shown around by Morpheus. And it's like he's seeing all this stuff going on, and suddenly there's this beautiful woman in a red dress, and he's, he's fixated on that. Mm -hmm. And by, by fixating on that, suddenly he's unaware when an agent shows up. So I think it's the same kind of thing that you can kind of become really fixated on one thing in the environment and suddenly everything else is, is, is you're not even noticing it. Well, that's just like that infamous video that always been shown around about people passing right. balls back and forth playing basketball and this guy in a gorilla suit walks right by and nobody even notices it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, I have a few notes that I took from one of the articles, and I can't remember which one it was, <laughs> but it's, it's how you can kind of enhance your observational abilities. So things that you can practice, right? So one of them is live more in the present, which is so much easier said than done. I'm not even exactly sure what that means specifically, because it's such a broad thing, like live in the present, experience the present, yeah. be present with yourself, ground yourself. Like, what are, what are people talking about when they say I that? So is that like be aware about. of what your body is doing? What Or what's just going on around you? Um, 
So another one is like noticing interesting phenomena. So maybe being in the present is you step outside and you just start to observe your surroundings. Okay, the sun is up. It's mm -hmm. raining today. Oh, a dog just walked by or, you know what I mean? Like just instead of letting your mind kind of ruminate on past and future, just mm -hmm. trying to take in information from your environment. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. And then seize opportunities, again, kind of vague. <laughs> uh, keep yourself and others safe, okay, kind of vague, but train for observation and then hear faster than you see because apparently from the neuroscience, you hear things before you actually see them. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think that 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 whole thing about living in the now and being present and all that kind of stuff is like you said, Erica, it's just kind of like not get being so caught up in your head that you don't actually notice what's going on around you. And I think a good example of that is like when you're in a conversation and you're thinking more about what you're going to say next than listening to what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you're not, you're not actually hearing them. You're only thinking about, the points that you're going to make or whatever the case may be. And there's all that anticipation built up. So it's kind of like if you're just in the present, you'll just be kind of listening and actually mm -hmm. hearing what the other person is saying. Yes. Well, another thing that I found interesting and in reading through some of these articles, uh, not just that we hear faster than we see, which obviously would be a good advantage if you're in the dark mm. but that's you know we all know that dogs have a very strong sense of smell but humans have a strong sense of smell too and there are actually people who could track animals by their scent well of course you have to practice this mm. but uh the nose is like right in front of the brain. So it does like if you take in a scent and I forget how many they said like a trillion scents, which seems kind of strange that humans can distinguish between that many scents. But that's what they said. So they're scientists. So I guess we have to trust them. But <laughs> <laughs> smells don't have to go through the amygdala or the or the hippocampus to be processed it just goes directly into your brain and it's immediately interpreted that's why it can trigger trigger such strong memories mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting but i don't it's not one of the first senses I think of when I think of situational awareness or orienting no. yourself in the environment. It's not unless it's something that is just so profound, like you know, somebody burning a bunch of things. But like subtle smells and things like that, like they say that people can sense people's uh, emotions or fear just by smell. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever experienced or was conscious that i could smell yeah. something like that well or even yeah, like uh smelling someone in your family like being able to recognize like close dna relatives by smell hmm. yeah i think those things probably go on at a at a subconscious level mm -hmm. because uh they say that the one of the reasons that fear is contagious and panic is because of that whole smell thing mm. it's like if you smell the fear then it's like your body's like, oh, there's something to be afraid of. And you'll react to that. And you might be afraid and not even really understand why. What, what's being, I'm curious, what's, what's being given off? What, what's being given, given off that, 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 we, that we pick up as a smell? Is it like some sort of pheromone or some I kind that's of... That's what I'm guessing, some kind of yeah? chemical messenger that we can pick up on but not really identify like i'm smelling his pheromones right now <laughs> but you can see it in dogs mm -hmm. like they can smell fear in people that are afraid of them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well that's what we assume but how do we even really know though because they told me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
scientists. Again, we have to trust them because they're scientists. <laughs> well, but the is... hearing thing is interesting too, though, because um, you know, having that, like that, the the listening to your environment, and you hear a siren, and automatically it puts your brain into like an alert mode, mm -hmm. or like. I think being a parent really kind of develops those kind of skills because I would hear my children come home in the middle of the night before they even <laughs> walked in the door. You know what I mean? And I'd wake up and they wouldn't even be in the house, but I would hear. It was almost like that uh, sense of mm -hmm. some sort. Or when you're in danger or, you know, you're in the middle of the woods and it's dark and you can't see anything and you hear a stick break. It's like, oh, what's that? You know, or you can identify different members of your family just by how they walk through mm -hmm. the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you yeah. know who's coming. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm. There is another aspect to awareness, too, that gets talked about, and that's kind of being aware of. I don't know how you'd put it, just like the state of the world, aware of what's going on behind mm -hmm. the scenes, aware that the media is full of BS and that what's actually going on is, is much more nuanced. And I think that that is kind of a level of awareness. It's kind of beyond the situational awareness of what's going on around you, but kind of more an awareness of the greater environment at large. Mm -hmm. What kind of interests are going on, competing interests, those sorts of things. Recognizing certain patterns, recognizing mm -hmm. manipulations. And I think yeah. a part of that is being able to recognize that in yourself. Because if you can sit with yourself and examine your thoughts and motivations and behaviors and realize that you are capable of manipulating people and you've used certain techniques in the past or even in the present to manipulate people, then you can accept that at large people are capable of being manipulated. And if you look at the world and politics and uh, things that happen on a societal level and start recognizing patterns, I think that goes a long way in helping you kind of anticipate things and not go nuts when things get crazy. And orient yourself. Yes. A really good example for us, Tiffany and I, is this recent Hurricane Florence <laughs> hit North Carolina. Mm -hmm. For the week leading up to it, um, there's a TV in my job. And so all week long, they just kept showing the red eye of the storm and, and all the newspapers. And, you know, this, it was, in a sense, it was important to, to know that this was coming to be prepared, but it was almost like this frenzied freak out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, of course it's like, okay, well store some water and have some candles and, but don't get caught up in it. And I think a few times I even said, because <clears throat> I work at a resort and so of course they're freaking out because the guests are freaking out and order 200 bottles of water, whatever. But it was just, I could kind of see that it was like a, a playing on people's emotions mm -hmm. in a really kind of scary way because people felt like they had no control, which you don't. In a hurricane, you don't have any control. You can't really stop the weather from coming. And and I think there's a certain important aspect to being prepared, but also not buying in to the hype. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I found myself like watching this TV, just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But then I had to like calm myself down. Well, I mean, you know, if worse comes to worse, you just don't leave your house and uh you guys know what i'm saying like it, it, I mean, yeah, it's hard I, to put into words i read articles about it but i didn't watch like much probably very little or none of the tv footage leading up to the event but i got so many phone calls from family members i mean first of all look at a map i've told them repeatedly <laughs> what part of North Carolina I live in. We were like six hours away from where the you know big part of the storm was going to hit. 
but they were just freaking out like oh are you okay and oh my gosh are you prepared oh call your dad he's so worried about you <laughs> <laughs> and my mother i talked to her after you know i told her we got some drizzle one day <laughs> she was like oh yeah i fell for it didn't i <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you did <laughs> It's interesting, though, because it kind of ties in like two levels of awareness there, because there is the the situational awareness aspect of that. It's kind of like knowing what you should do to if you have, are ever in a situation where there's an emergency. But then at the same time, there's kind of a level of awareness that recognizing that what you're seeing is hype mm -hmm. and that recognizing that there is are these kind of fear chemicals being like emitted by all these people around you and that you can get caught up in that and to kind of resist that aspect of it so it's like it's i find that that awareness it seems to kind of exist on multiple levels and if you're neglecting one of the levels you're kind of subject to that so it's kind of like, you know, you see people out there who are kind of aware of the state of the world and what's going on, but they aren't grounded in their situational awareness and prepared. So they're much more likely to kind of just freak out at the drop of a hat. You know, when you see all these like Twitter explosions and things like that, and people really freaking out over stuff that isn't that big a deal. Mm. And it's kind of like, I think that they're kind of like, they're aware maybe on a, a level that isn't actually healthy of what's going on in the greater kind of like area that doesn't immediately affect them necessarily or even in the case of the hurricane something that could potentially affect them but um they're not aware on a more situational level of what's going on in their immediate environment you know have i stocked up on what i need to stock up on mm -hmm. am i am i cool is everything cool and it's like, yeah, that's you know, more like cool. relaxed awareness versus freaking mm. out awareness. <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference in that. But one of the problems is that people who are unaware are unaware that they're not aware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it it seems, seems like the, the safest way to go. Um, there's a term called relaxed alertness. And so it's like if you can prepare and i think it's a safe way to go is is to assume the worst about mm -hmm. a situation uh, assume and prepare for the worst but at the same time um uh, be realistic about what is actually going on and so always be prepared to react or act um appropriately if the situation were to become as bad as it were to be however also keep in mind that things may be just going fine so um, and I think this it's the same with people as well it's generally a safe thing is to assume that there is some form of danger but not to let that affect how you're treating that person or not 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 to let that affect you in a way that makes you paranoid yeah mm -hmm. you just assume this person may not have my best interests at heart or you know there's a hurricane in my state this may potentially you know blow down my house <laughs> but what but what can i do in the meantime um to prepare for that likewise also prepare for the fact that it might not happen so i don't really want to lose my shit you know, yeah. and it's remaining cool. And also, if, if you're not prepared for that, then you are going to lose it in that situation. And when you lose it, you're not really going to be helpful to anyone else either. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's where the chaos kind of ensues, you know, where people flock to the stores and they buy everything, or there's lines at the gas stations because everyone is panicking. Yeah. and getting caught up in that probably that scent of fear from all the other people panicking <laughs> yeah and the media really doesn't help things either no yeah but being situationally aware you have to also be aware that just because you're situationally aware doesn't mean that you won't be attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
because Although apparently it is less likely. Is it could be less likely, but it could be that there is a criminal out there who is more situationally aware than you are. <laughs> and probably. as soon as you turn your back, uh, they're on you. Because I mean, there's always going to be a chance that something bad can happen to you. But that's part of being situationally aware is knowing that. Yeah. yeah like, likewise. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Doug. Well, I was just going to say just on that, I, I read an article actually getting prepared for the show. And there was one guy who was talking about how he was kind of like um, like crapping all over the, uh, the idea of situa situational <laughs> awareness and saying that you cannot possibly be aware at all of everything. Right. It's like the whole idea of checking your sixes. So like always looking around you to see who's there and what's going on. It's like a person who is intent on attacking you. Like you were saying, Tiff, they're going to just wait for you. To, like you can't keep your eyes on them all the time. So as mm -hmm. soon as you're distracted, they're going to be on you. So it was kind of like he wasn't necessarily saying that situational awareness is a bad thing, but he was saying that it's not necessarily enough. And, you know, being aware and looking around and stuff and looking people in the eye is, is a way to kind of discourage people from attacking you. Mm -hmm. um, but if a person is really intent, like say it's some meth head or something like that, who's like, you're the closest person and uh, you might be the one thing between them and their next fix. It's like, well, it, it kind of doesn't matter if you're looking them in the eye or not. They're going to they're gonna attack you anyway and they're going to wait for their opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you have to be aware that your awareness is not you know, a magic key to never having any problems come your way. Mm. But sorry, Elliot, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say likewise, like as situational awareness is not the be all and end all, let's say, it's not going to provide you with the ultimate protection, although it will help. I was going to say uh, a related topic uh, that kind of relates to this is mindfulness and I was gonna make it clear as per the way that I see it that mindfulness is not <laughs> the path to enlightenment either like some people <laughs> say it is. it's just being aware of your surroundings and being aware of your breathing is not gonna like magically fix the world you know it's not gonna magically make you an enlightened being you know and there's like a semi-religious sort of cult around this whole mindfulness thing and people mm -hmm who basically praise it as if it's the, the, um, I guess it's as if, it's as if it's our savior, Jesus Christ, you know, it's, it's the thing. And it's kind of like a fashion statement, uh, almost. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's useful. It's useful. But at the same time, um, there are other things that we need to focus on gaining knowledge of your mm -hmm. immediate surroundings, gaining knowledge of human psychology, the way that humans think, the way that th humans act, gaining knowledge of, okay, in this context, weather, you know, what sort of thing would you need to have mm -hmm. if there were a hurricane? You know, it's all good being mindful and being situationally <laughs> aware, but if you don't know, if you haven't read accounts of what someone actually needs in a survival scenario, as in gaining active knowledge about something, mm -hmm. then, then mindfulness or situational awareness is, you know, it's, it's only a part of the picture. It, there's other things that we need to f be aware of as well. And sometimes it's, I, I would say sometimes it's not very good to be mindful. Um, I think sometimes you need to multitask and you need to get things done and, and <laughs> it's, it's not possible. You can't, it, do, do, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I think, I think it's normal to shift through different states of awareness. Like at one point of the day, maybe you're more wrapped up into your thoughts and what's going on with you personally. And then other times you're more focused on the task and what's going on in the environment. And you switch back and forth between different states. But to stay in one state of awareness and say, oh, this is so great because I'm being mindful is stupid. I consider being mindful like a kind of stress reliever type thing then you go about your normal day <laughs> well, and the thing with mindfulness to too that i think what i'm thinking mindful meditation yeah not just being mindful. what you're talking about elliot just what i've seen just working in the quote-unquote yoga world and that whole you know just meditate and your life will be better <laughs> is there's that 
really intense tendency to not focus on anything that's not good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to. So I think part of the mindfulness breaking out of that new agey definition is just back to observing your environment and the people around you. I find when I drive now, I try and be, I'm an offensive driver. I try and be aware of what people are doing around me as mm -hmm. I drive because I feel like that's maybe a better way to be a driver instead of just zoning out, listening to your music or whatnot. Mm -hmm. well, I think so, the mindfulness term has kind of been hijacked a bit because I think yeah. that the originally the idea behind mindfulness is to be aware of everything that you're doing when you're doing it, being aware of on multiple levels, like being aware of your thoughts, being aware of the task at hand, not losing yourself in, you know, the um, thoughts of yesterday or ruminating on things. Like I think that that mindfulness, uh, like I say, I think it's kind of been hijacked, and mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know the danger is kind of getting into the whole navel gazing kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like people are just so obsessed with, uh, you know, their meditation practice or their yoga practice or whatever the case may be that they, but they aren't aware. Like how many people have you seen who kind of feign this sort of enlightened perspective on thing, but they have no idea of what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll talk about how, Oh yeah, Putin's a, an evil dictator and um, America's going into Syria to bring freedom and democracy. It's like, these people, but they, you know, they, they think that they're, you know, quite enlightened yet have no idea, like no idea whatsoever. So I think it gets back to this whole idea of these levels of awareness. It's kind of like you can be aware of what's going around on around you and just be clueless of the state of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what about self-awareness? Hmm. What? Well, there was one of the articles that we read that said that um, right around the age of two, people start developing self-awareness or sometime in that toddler time. And uh, the way they test this is they have the toddler look in a mirror and they put like a smudge on his face or something like that. And he's able to recognize himself and realize that that smudge on his face is not part of himself. And they start, uh, yeah, and they start using words like I, me, you, my. They start claiming things as their own property and they start experiencing uh, emotions of self-consciousness like uh, guilt or shame, things like that. And then they said by the time that a child is eight, they come to recognize their own personality traits and know how they typically behave in certain situations. Right. And then they master the art of manipulating people around them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, they also said that until you start developing your sense of self, maybe this is an explanation for why most people don't remember their babyhood. Uh, until you start getting a sense of self, you can't really store a lot of memories and retrieve those because if you don't have any ability to know that you are you, then how can you take things into yourself and say, I remember this, if you can't relate to it on like a personal level, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting because, yeah, I guess self-awareness is, I mean, it, to a certain extent, self-awareness, like we all have that to a certain mm. extent. Like, you know, kids, like you said, kids develop it at age two or something like that. They recognize that they are a being in the world that is interacting with their environment in a certain way. You know, you can look on animals or insects or something like that and kind of recognize that there's certain levels of self-awareness there like an insect is probably just a reaction machine that kind of reacts to stimulus in a certain way it's like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily recognize that it is a being in the world and uh, has goals and all those sorts of things it's just kind of like reacting you know it's programmed mm -hmm. to do a certain thing and it will do it um, versus something like maybe a dog that seems to have a little bit more self-awareness and 
recognizes um, that it is kind of a being to a certain extent. And then there's humans who kind of, you know, we all act as if we are these beings in the world. But then it seems like there's other levels of this sort of self-awareness. Whereas like, you know, when you're just kind of anecdotally kind of just talking about self-awareness or if you if you were to describe a person with the personality trait of having being a self-aware person it's kind of like at that level it's sort of like a person who is you know aware of their own flaws to a certain extent their weaknesses as well as their um you know positive attributes as well um kind of recognizing their strengths um i think that that is a is a level of self-awareness and, and you can tell when you're you're dealing with somebody generally who isn't overly self-aware and kind of like maybe has um these grand illusions of what they're capable of right they tell you all about this business they're going to start and how much money they're going to make and how great it's going to be and meanwhile you're kind of like thinking to yourself that's not the least bit realistic i know this person and they are not <laughs> capable of this you know so it seems like there's there's multiple kind of meanings to this self-aware label. Or so I think. <laughs> That's what your awareness will allow you to know well, exactly. at this particular point in time. It's interesting too because it just makes me think about where where does awareness actually reside? You know, it's kind of like, I mean, it gets into the whole thing of like, you know, materialism versus like other mm -hmm. things that maybe I'm like aiming too high here, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, are we just sort of these neurons um, that are kind of like signaling things and we're picking up on things in our environment and our brain is reacting to them in certain ways. But I mean, it seems like we have a means of sort of directing this awareness mm -hmm. um, and deciding what we want to pay attention to, to a certain extent, although we do go into automatic mode and just kind of like aren't aware of anything really. I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, I think that's kind of a good question because there are researchers out there who thought that awareness was centered in certain brain regions until they started interviewing this guy. They called him Patient R. And he had a traumatic brain injury that left him with amnesia and he didn't have a sense of uh, smell or a sense of taste. And he still had self-awareness. He was able to pick himself out in pictures, uh, recognize himself in the mirror. He just said that he was a person that had a really bad memory but he still knew who he was hmm. so the question becomes like where does awareness lie does it even lie in the brain yeah where that, is it where does it come from <laughs> in that article tiffany's talking about uh, they the neuroscientists believe that the re three regions of the brain that are critical for self-awareness were the insular cortex anterior cingulate cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. so he had damage to those three but could still function mm-hmm he said most people wouldn't even know when they first met him that something was wrong with him yeah so where does awareness lie i mean we do have body awareness you mm -hmm. know if you if you turn your attention towards your body you know where your your limbs are positioned and you know the different uh, sensations that you're feeling and stuff. So is that where awareness is? But then Maybe it's in your time, gut. <laughs> yeah. However, Maybe. people have been declared clinically dead and they say, whoever they are, that awareness lingers up to three minutes after the heart stops. So I guess they interviewed people who had uh, these experiences where they were declared dead and they were revived but during that period between being dead and being revived they were able to say what was happening in the room while they were there yeah. so they had a sense of awareness yeah why yeah <laughs> it, it just makes you think that it's not a physical 
material mm -hmm. kind of phenomena at all. That there's actually because they've they've but had situations where the person was brain dead. You know, uh -huh. there was no activity in the brain at all. Yet they had recollections of what happened, mm -hmm. and they describe pretty incredible experiences in a lot of cases. Spiritual there is experiences. A, a time when awareness does cease, when you actually are dead. Yeah, but you don't know so, that the awareness has actually ceased. It's just no longer well, how. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it, it ceases on this plane. I mean, then you have yeah. to think about like ghosts who come back. Are and, they aware? And try to interact. Yeah, are they aware? Are the people who are dead, dead, and you never hear from them again, are they not aware? Or they're just someplace else and don't really care about what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are some um, scientists and researchers. Rupert Sheldrake is the one who comes to mind who thinks that, you know, consciousness and awareness is a non-local phenomena. Mm -hmm. So although it's kind of seated in the brain or the central nervous system or the body, whatever the case may be, it's actually something that's coming from outside. Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't actually reside there. And when the body ceases, it goes on to exist somewhere else. Mm. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Yeah. He's correct <laughs> in my estimation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a tricky subject. I mean, it gets into pretty, uh, pretty interesting areas, especially on the level, I think, of the awareness of, uh, of the greater world and what, what's actually going mm -hmm. on around you. Because uh, Caitlin Johnston writes a lot about this, about you know, how you need to kind of have a certain level of self-awareness and recognize these things that are possible for humans to do to not be some kind of just trusting automaton you mm -hmm. know that kind of watches the news believes it think that's thinks that's actually what's going on and never kind of looking outside of that or questioning it in any way and uh, i think that's a level of awareness that's getting exceedingly rare mm -hmm. that there aren't a lot of people who are willing to do this to question their own assumptions question what they're being fed you know, allow for the possibility that they're actually being manipulated, that someone is actually um, serving an agenda by releasing the information that they're releasing. Mm. So I think that that's, that's a level of awareness that, that is, is starting to lack more and more. Yeah. And not only do you need to gain knowledge of the world around you and eradicate your blind spots, to the greatest extent possible when it comes to the world around you. You have to do that for yourself. And one of the good ways of doing that for yourself is to ask other people what they really think about you <laughs> and not get mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Which is because other people can know us better than we know ourselves. We think we know ourselves the best because we live in our bodies and we're with ourselves 24-7. But other people, even strangers, can pick up on things about you that you may not, you may have suppressed or you don't want to acknowledge or you absolutely have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. So you I mean, have to pay attention to what other people <laughs> say about you or how they act around you and just flat out ask them. What's up with me? <laughs> yeah. Well, because for the vast majority of people, everybody believes that they're a good person, right? They mm -hmm. have all these narratives about what they've, their motivations for different things. Like, oh, oh, I was only trying to help. And it's like more often than not, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's like you're so practiced at this, uh, these different manipulations are, and you know, you, you act and then you make up a narrative for why you acted. And you believe that narrative wholeheartedly. We're all very, very practiced at this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. So the idea that, uh, that we know ourselves is actually just an illusion more than anything else. It's like we don't know our unconscious motivations. And somebody else can spot them. Like you said, mm -hmm. even a stranger in some cases. Yeah. And we're not taught that. No. I mean, most of us. No. Maybe if no. you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, do you want to go to the pet health segment? Yeah, that sounds good. It's about self-awareness and animals. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week I would like to share with you interesting recording that talks about self-recognition in animals, particularly in elephants. It may seem easy, but apparently recognizing yourself in a mirror is kind of a big deal. So listen up to this truly fascinating information. Now you may take for granted that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you understand that that beautiful face looking back is your own. But are we alone in this ability? As it turns out, only eight species on the planet can demonstrate this self-recognition. Those include all the great apes, which are humans, chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, and orangutans. Also, dolphins, and a bird called the magpie. And the elephants made the cut as well. So what actually happens when you place an animal in front of a mirror? Dr. Josh Plotnick and his colleagues demonstrated that elephants, when exposed to a mirror over a period of time, go through a number of different changes in their behavior, as scientists have shown in those other species. The first of these stages is called social behavior. The first stage is social. The animal sees its reflection and simply sees a stranger. Your dogs and cats will do this and sometimes act aggressively towards the image or will be uninterested altogether, but will never move beyond this stage. However, it's vital and initial to understanding your reflection. Stage two, test behavior. Now, the animal begins to learn to test its reflection. In other words, why is that animal doing the same thing that I'm doing? Elephants and other animals in this stage will begin to test the physical mirror and also their reflection. By moving their trunk and body in novel directions or repetitively moving themselves in and out of mirror view, elephants can learn that the reflection creates a mirror image. Now we're moving on to stage three, self-directed behavior. This is where we start to see some really cool behavior. At some point, the animal recognizes the mirror reflection as themselves. They start using the mirror to investigate parts of their body they've never seen before, or their faces in ways that may seem familiar to anyone that uses a mirror in the morning to check themselves out. What would you do if you had never seen your own reflection before? What would you inspect first? Chimps groom, magpies preen, but what do elephants do? As it turns out, the elephants really like to look inside their own mouths and check out how their trunks move. And the males, they're pretty impressed with their tusks. Final stage, the mark test. All of these behaviors certainly seem to demonstrate that the elephants understand what they're looking at. But how can we test this in a more concrete way? Well, back in 1970, Gordon Gallup, a chimpanzee researcher, was the first to come up with an answer. Gallup's solution? The mark test. In this test, the scientist places a visible mark on an animal's body at a location they can only see in the reflection of a mirror. If the animal approaches the reflection and touches the mark on the mirror image, in other words, on the mirror animal, this may mean they are confused about what's going on. But if they use the mirror to investigate and potentially wipe away the mark on themselves, they are clearly demonstrating that they understand the mirror image is a reflection of self. The mirror self-recognition task is a way to test for self-awareness in animals. A sense of self relates to what you know about yourself and others, and what makes you, well, you, both physically and mentally. Those are some self-aware goats. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was interesting. It seems yeah. to mirror, huh? mirror <laughs> the developmental stages of humans as well. Like the kids, giving the mirror test to the kids to see uh, when they actually are able to recognize that a mark on their face in the reflection is actually on themselves and go to kind of wipe it away or whatever the case may be. I tried the mirror cat test with cats. 
They're not interested. They don't even want to look in the mirror. <laughs> I had a dog who was kind of interested, but never really seemed to figure out that it wasn't another dog. <laughs> Yeah, so I believe that is our show for the day. Thanks very much to all our chatters and listeners. And we will be back with another show next week. In the meantime, you can check out the other two SOT Radio Network shows on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you can go to radio.sot.net to find out the timing in your time zone for those shows. And until next week, keep fit and have fun. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye bye. bye, -bye.